You're listening to Products to People, an integrated public health supply chain. I'm your host, Tuonge Mkandawire, bringing you guests from the global health sector to discuss the importance of integration for building equitable, people-centered, resilient, and sustainable public health supply chains. So during this episode, we're going to talk a bit more broadly about integration. What is it? Why is it important? At Village Reach, with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, we're implementing the Supply Chain Integrators Grant. And this investment enables us to partner with governments, funders, to build public health supply chains that have those attributes that we want, equitable, people-centered, resilient, and sustainable. In order to guide this work, we've developed an integration framework which offers a pathway to achieving these high-performing supply chains. Our framework consists of components and cross-cutting elements to achieving integration. Some of these are relatively well-known. This podcast will focus on new opportunities for integration, such as leveraging private sector capacity to better improve the performance of not only the supply chain, but ultimately of patients' or clients' health outcomes. And also, opportunities that exist to enable the delivery of supplies beyond the health facilities. We would like to get products to the people, get the products beyond the health facilities to those places that are more convenient for the patients, whether it's in their homes, a local pharmacy, or somewhere else. So join me as we continue this conversation today with Kelly Hamblin from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to get us started on this very crucial conversation about supply chain integration. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences in this exciting space of healthcare supply chain? Yeah, thanks so much, Tuange, and um, so happy to be here. So I've been a, a program officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for about four years now, and I've had the pleasure of working in supply chain throughout that time and honestly, even throughout my career. So it's been a passion of mine since I've entered into the field of global health. Um, and so prior to joining the foundation, I was actually a supply chain advisor at two different um, USAID missions uh, in sub-Saharan Africa and then had actually been an implementing partner working in supply chain prior to that. So I've basically spent, I guess, about nearly 15 years thinking deeply about supply chain and then being interested in it um, prior to that. So um, this is something that I've thought a lot about and um, thought a lot about how we can make things better and easier for healthcare workers and more convenient for for patients and, and clients who are coming to access the health system. So happy to be talking about this today. Thanks for that, Kelly. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned um, 15 years to be thinking deeply about, you know, things related to the supply chain to health is, it's, it's a lot of time. So when you think about supply chain, 
integration generally, as well as the framework, as I described it a little earlier. What are your thoughts? What are the things that that come to your mind? First of all, I really appreciate how the framework actually really breaks things up into chunks that are easy to understand and also calls out some areas that we've already been talking a lot about, I, th I think, as an ecosystem for a while, but then also highlights areas that we've neglected historically. So thinking about it in that way and kind of like asking ourselves to be like, okay, so like we've thought a lot about data, but where we probably need to be a bit more purposeful is thinking of like the overall strategy or how our workforce is, is being supported. And I, I think that that's a, a really great way to, to think about it. Um, I'd say that in general, when we're talking about integration, the strongest argument that I've seen in favor of moving to that model is that it is a much more, it's much more convenient for healthcare workers because it's how they are providing services, right? Um, or at least in a, a system that's kind of not skewed by uh, significant amounts of donor funding, you'll see a healthcare worker or a provider who's, who's providing all sorts of services to their clientele. And so I think it's really important to remember that form should follow function, that supply chain should be designed to mirror and support the services that are being offered. And so when you think about it in that way, it seems like a very obvious statement that then we should be ensuring that, that we're treating our products in a way that they are easily and conveniently being provided to the to the facility or the location where those services are being provided. And I think that that's what this framework is kind of getting at by like highlighting those those other areas where that could be the case. You know, that that is absolutely the point. Ultimately, this is about getting products to the people at that point of care where where those products are needed. And, you know, I, I find it really fascinating how you you point out the parallels with the way that services are provided. So thanks for pointing out that parallel. I can't resist asking you to unpack a little bit more your comment about how sometimes donor funding can skew things a little bit or skew the system a little bit, um, maybe a little bit away from that model. Can you unpack a little bit about that? What is it about the donor funding models or approaches that have been there in the past or maybe still exist that have made this a little bit challenging, made providing an integrated service or an integrated supply chain challenging. Yeah. So I, mean, I might be getting myself in a little bit of trouble here because I'll back myself into a corner. But I do think that it's something that we should be really upfront to talk about, even as a funder um, historically in various different roles. So Again, often what we see is that supply chains are designed to reflect the services that are being provided. And without purposefulness in countering that or kind of thinking through, does this make sense or should I be treating this differently? If there is a program that is stood up that is dedicated to a particular service or and thus the product that provides that's associated with that service, 
the movement of the products are going to reflect that. And so we see this a lot in outreach campaigns. We see it when we're, uh, I think that's like where it might feel the most obvious. Um, say we're doing a, a, you know, distribution of bed nets or um, a campaign for to respond to an outbreak and to to provide vaccines to to prevent um, illness, or if we're we've identified that there is an at risk at risk population for HIV, and we want to make sure that we have an outpost to to make sure that that population is getting the right services. Often, the money that is associated with those kind of targeted interventions are funded out of a pot of money that's very specific to to reach that objective. And then they will bring in people who are very focused on that objective as well. And that makes a lot of sense. Like when you're thinking about just that product or just that service, um, it is natural to then design the way that products are getting there with that in mind. But if we kind of open that aperture up a little bit and, and reflect on, okay, but today or this week, um, we're going to be providing this very targeted service. But next week, that same provider is going to be providing a whole different set of services. Maybe they're going to go and do like a maternal newborn and child health day, or maybe they're they're going to have their like routine vaccine clinic at their outpost. Like it, it's important to remember that often we're asking the same healthcare workers to, to, to do these services to do it themselves as a provider of the health system. And so thinking through, okay, if we had provided this service that we want to target, but then also complemented it with others, we might've gotten more reach. There might've been more interest. Uh, It certainly would have been more efficient as we were moving products from point A to point B. And so the important thing to remember is that the, the, the supply chain to provide those services are gonna reflect the services. And so I think it's really important to remember when we're talking about supply chain integration, that it's not even possible to talk about it alone if we're not talking about the services that are being provided also being integrated. And that's a long way of saying that the I think that the funding environment um, has historically, and I think we're moving away from this right now, has historically been um, very focused on providing kind of one-off services, not one-off, that may not be fair, but like is focused on ensuring that the service that they are funded to do are being provided primarily. And so then the supply chain will reflect that. If we start thinking about service delivery being holistic and targeting the and being client centered, then we'll naturally have a, a distribution system and a supply chain that is also more integrated and holistic. And that's what I'm really kind of that's what gives me energy right now. That's what I think I'm really excited to see as as we're seeing the way that funders are funding, as we're seeing the voice of healthcare workers being more highlighted and in, in how they are thinking about how services should be provided. We're I feel like beginning to move in that direction. Thanks for that, Kelly. There's so many rich bites in there. I feel like I'm in a candy store and I don't know which one to to go after first. (laughs) But I, I can't agree with you more. And for me personally, that's part of why I am so passionate about that strategy and stewardship arm or the strategy and stewardship element. So I'm going to ask you this question, but if you can try and answer it, maybe putting on the, 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 a different hat to the one that you normally wear. 
So you mentioned that you did have um, experiences in implementing partner before. What are the things that you think as players, as key stakeholders in this space, we need to change either in our approaches or just in the way we think about things and the same for governments in your, in your opinion? I think the opportunity that implementing partners have is often they will get funding that is associated with a particular program or work stream or funding color and for lack of a, a better term and how they use that money how they propose an intervention to respond to that can really shape whether the response is holistic and integrated or or whether it's very targeted and it's natural in particular for implementing partners to you know they've often been asked by a funder to deliver on a specific objective and kind of bringing in all these other like uh, sub objectives or externalities and trying to address them makes the problem they're trying to address or the program they're they're hoping to improve it makes that all the more complicated but they haven't the opportunity to do that if they're willing to kind of take the time and structure their response to and their strategy to be holistic and i often feel like if they are say you're speaking to your primary counterpart within a ministry of health and it's the chief pharmacist their day-to-day operations are integrated if you're talking to the head of the reproductive health program then it's not and i think it's important to make sure as an implementing partner that we're talking to a breadth of stakeholders within the ministry of health and that we balance kind of funding stream or programmatic focused um, objectives and the counterparts associated with that with also the cross-cutting partners and counterparts within the ministry of health that are looking at it more holistically i think if if that's the primary starting point then often we will see more opportunities for design of a program to reflect a strategy that is a strategy of the Ministry of Health holistically and not an individual program. It doesn't mean you need to ignore the unique characteristics of a specific program that um, perhaps some products are at higher risk of counterfeit or of of um, diversion of, of moving outside of the intended system that they're supposed to be in. But it does mean you don't have to ignore that. Like you can address the specific characteristics of that program or product, but also factor in the overall strategy and design simultaneously. You know, that's that's really brilliant. I think um, you know, I think there's there's a real lesson or a reminder of a lesson therefore for a lot of us to be more open to not only having those conversations that are a bit broader, a little bit more holistic, and really allow the opportunity to to create new things. And I think for me, that that really drives home the real definition of an implementing partner. You know, we are meant to be 
partners in this journey and we need to be bringing our contributions and our thoughts and our ideas to help shape future uh, changes in, in, in the program. So thanks for that. Enjoying the conversation? Shocks and disruptions in a health system prevent people from accessing medicines when and where they need them. Building equitable, people-centered, resilient, and sustainable supply chains requires integration. Download the integration framework now at www.productstopeople.org. That's www.productstopeople.org. You can also find links to the framework and other materials on this episode in the show notes. Maybe just pivoting back to the perspective of government. So what needs to change or what changes could help move the needle from a government perspective? The first response that comes to mind for me is ensuring that our, our government counterparts have are, are first in designing what that strategy should look like. I think it's very easy, especially in the way that implementing partners are funded and the way that often donors kind of structure the way they provide funds is that much of the plans are like a high level objective or strategy have already been formed before we have a conversation with our counterparts within the government. And trying to refrain from that, perhaps I, I realize you just asked me what the, the role of the ministry would be, but I think it, this is kind of coming back to what the role of the implementing partner is a little bit, is just making sure that they have an opportunity first to say how a program should be designed um, so that that's kind of factored in. I would encourage and certainly in, in my roles when I was a funder located in, in countries in sub-Saharan Africa and had the opportunity to have direct counterparts with ministries of health, I definitely would have welcomed pushback. And I think sometimes that feels scary from the perspective of a, a government counterpart to, to tell an implementing partner or certainly a funder, no, you're wrong. But I, I would have been thrilled to, and, and, and was, let me be clear. In, in some cases I was told, I disagree with you, do, do, do this differently, but it probably should have happened more than it did. And I, and so I would encourage our government counterparts to say what I think is best is this, because this reflects and, and then back it up with the reasoning, with the structure that your own program has that, that makes that important. So I think that's what I would have loved to see more. I'm thinking actually in, in particular in the last couple of years in, in thinking through how services and supply chains for vaccines have been rolled out in, in, in response to uh, the COVID pandemic and there were probably times when our, our government counterparts should have said, no, I don't want that product or this is not the right time for me to be receiving these vaccines or I don't want a vaccine that requires negative 70 temperature control. And those voices should uh, be taken seriously and, and valued and, and 
we should be adjusting our, our, our response according to that voice. I feel like having a, um, the COVID example was tough, right? Like there, there was so much that was outside of our control as, as funders, as um, recipient countries. I feel like all partnership tends to break down when we're in crisis mode or it can. And so you have to be very proactive to protect against that. But I think the most critical thing that I would like to see moving forward is that there is more voice from ministries that they have the opportunity to design and also to patients, because it's so, it's important to remember that not all patients are getting their services from just the public sector, but knowing that like a response is designed with the holistic public health system in mind, and then also how clients are receiving services, what their preferences are in mind as well. What you've just said there, I think, absolutely resonates with me. I, I think hopefully that it also aligns with what we consider the call to action that's in the the white paper on supply chain integration where our framework is is described. And specifically for governments, what we're encouraging is that governments should take the lead in that integration process. They need to have those clear supply chain strategies, which can then guide how the the contributions from partners and, and by partners, I mean both implementing partners and donors alike, as well as the private sector. So those strategies should be providing that guide on how all of those contributions are being made to help the country meet its needs. And also, you know, the second call to action is is really around establishing a way for coordinating all of those inputs. So I think what you described there about, you know, encouraging our government counterparts to to have that voice and make sure it's heard very strongly is is something that's very close to my heart. Um, pivoting a little bit, um, I, I hadn't planned on talking about COVID, but it really is hard to not talk about it when we, when I think about all of the, the investments, all of the lessons learned, um, as a result of the COVID pandemic and how we responded to it. So when we look at the COVID pandemic and streamlining or, or integrating into the mainstream health system. What are some of the elements that you think we need to make sure we do not lose that we gain from the pandemic, that we need to make sure we're, we're finding ways of incorporating in how we do business, how services are provided on a day-to-day basis going forward? You know, one of the things as a, a public health professional that I found so fascinating, especially in the very, very early stages of the pandemic, was how forthcoming everybody was with data. You know, you had these portals where, you know, whether it was journalists or academics who were pulling together all the data that they could find and, and making it into a visual so that access to information was democratized and it was such a powerful piece of information or sets of information um, 
for just civil society for me as a you know sitting at home like in 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 March and April in the US kind of with the instructions of you know don't go to the grocery store if you can avoid it um to be able to look at uh, you know evolution of case numbers and the progress of of treatment and vaccine development all very democratized and that was something that was very unique to the response and has has in some ways continued but in some ways has also backed off some i think the competition across countries and across counties or states have actually led to people hold starting to close up and hold their data more closely because there were fears that uh, if you shared how many doses you had of a vaccine that you hadn't used yet, that perhaps you would be deprioritized. And often that was not the case, but there was this perception that I think led to people not being as as transparent with their information. And so that was something that I, I really, it was very energizing to see, and I would love to see it continue moving forward. I think that there's also the, you know, there was this move towards like a global partnership and, and of course the, the, we, we, you know, we just got done talking about the importance of voice of our government counterparts. And I think the, that really came through a lot in the COVID response, how important that was over the course of the last two years or three years, I guess now, I think that ensuring that we are, Factoring in the preferences of of recipient countries has been really highlighted, and I would love to see that continue moving forward. And then finally, I think that there was it was a bit of an all hands on deck, and so we began to see this emerging conversation around integration as part of the response. You saw that there was a clear statement from WHO that um, cold chain space for um, originally intended for immunization um, should perhaps be made available for treatment or diagnostics even if they required cold chain. And that's a great example of, of kind of like there was a general movement in that direction. And actually WHO had already said that about other products, but then they, it was like a really kind of clear message that we shouldn't be thinking about one service separate from the other, that we need to be able to diagnose whether somebody has COVID and then immediately follow up with treatment and those should be together. And um, and if they do require cold chain, we should be making the cold chain that is available for that. And so those are the types of things that I loved um, in, in, in the COVID response that I would hope that can continue moving forward. It's easy to talk about how challenging that time was or, or how things didn't go as 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 planned. And there's lots of those, but there's also a lot of really, really exciting progress that was made that I hope we can maintain as well. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much. You know, I think that is the first time when I've been able to fully grasp how the response, that COVID response was a really good example of integration. I'm talking to you from South Africa, and I was amazed at the level of not only transparency in information from the government on on what was going on, but also seeing how they were actively engaging with this scientific advisory board to make sure that the decisions that they were making were evidence-based and uh, very much informed by 
uh, the trends in data that they were seeing so that, you know, it goes back to that strategy and, and stewardship component. Do you have any other thoughts related to just, you know, supply chain integration in general that maybe we haven't talked about that are um, kind of, you know, you're yearning to share? Gosh, thanks. Um, there's a couple of things that I think I'd like to share. First, I think in thinking through integration, it's important to be purposeful about what we're asking service providers to do. So often they are managing the stock that they're distributing. And what's really important that, that, that we're thinking about that element of integration when we are asking them to do that. So just think about how the system is being designed. And I think that leads into my second thought, which is that as we're designing that system, thinking very carefully and being judicious about what information we need to make it run. Interactions like asking a healthcare worker to stop and record information takes time from them. And it's something that they may not feel as passionate about in terms of doing. And when we're asking a healthcare worker to also be a supply chain manager, those roles are slightly different. And it's... Um, exponential in terms of the, the types of data elements that we might be asking them to collect. And that's like a softer side of the work that they do. And I, I don't know that they are as excited about if they have like chosen to be a healthcare worker to collect data on supply chain. And then third, I think when we're integrating a supply chain or integrating the services that that supply chain offers, it's important to remember that it's a zero-sum game when it comes to budget, right? So it's really important to, I think that's why I'm, I'm very a, a proponent of integration of supply chains, because it allows us to bring efficiencies into the system. But decisions that we're making need to really be thought through with the budget implications from the get-go, so that when we're asking a system to be designed differently or for a service to be added, that we're also factoring in what the cost implications are for that. Um, because in general, the biggest drivers of a, a health system are your health workforce and the products that are being used to treat those patients. And so those are the things that we need to be thinking about when we're um, when we're designing the system. Kelly, thank you so much. Um, I think if there's one thing I'm going to take away from this conversation is that we all need to be more purposeful, need to be more purposeful in in every aspect of how we're thinking about our approaches and how we're implementing, you know, from a government perspective, be more purposeful in making sure that we're thinking, as you've just said, a little bit broader, thinking about, you know, the funding, thinking about the bottom line and the real changes that are happening in the system and in demand brought on by the, the additional funding, as well as trends in you know, the client's needs. So just being more purposeful in making sure that they understand those changes, they understand those trends so that they are designing their strategies accordingly. For partners, be more purposeful about presenting and designing interventions and solutions that are holistic. Let's not be bogged down with, you know, I am funded for this, I am doing HIV, I am doing covid um, I'm doing immunization, whatever it is you, that you're funded for, be purposeful about thinking holistically, be purposeful about pushing for an integrated approach to not only service delivery, but how supply chains are designed and implemented. For the donors to be more purposeful about finding ex and exploring new opportunities or new ways of funding that help encourage the movement of some of those solutions 
that are being thought about by partners or the strategies that are coming through from the governments. And for all of us um, in, in this community to be more purposeful about leveraging some of the opportunities that we see that maybe we didn't utilize fully, like the potential that's there in the private sector, like being purposeful about how to maximize on the supply chain workforce so that they are, you know, allocated and, and well, just staffed in a way that meets the needs and helps us move forward to an integrated supply chain. Kelly, you have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. And I look forward to more conversations as we move to getting products to people. Thank you for listening to Products to People. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts to hear more conversations with experts.